He was a slender man, standing six feet tall in his boots. His dark brown eyes twinkled with a benevolent expression as he spoke. The man dressed entirely in black, except for a white necktie fastened with a plain pin in front. His jet black hair was coarse and carefully combed in place. Wherever he went, his appearance was a perfect example of neatness and order. He mastered six languages to include Latin, Greek, Hebrew, German, French, and English. Yet his tiny library consisted of a few Greek testaments, several translations of the Bible, a Greek concordance, and a Greek lexicon. That's all. Although he preached a good deal, this man never studied the Bible for others, but only for himself to find out what his Heavenly Father required of him. This description comes from the introduction to the autobiography of George Mueller. He is remembered as a man who prayed about everything and expected God to answer every single request. When the Lord put it into the heart of Jordan Mueller to build orphanages, he had only two shillings, which is 50 cents, in his pocket. Making his needs known to God alone in prayer, Mueller received the equivalent of $7 million dollars for the construction and maintenance of five very large, impressive buildings capable of accommodating 2,000 orphans. From the time when the first children arrived, God never failed to provide enough food for all, despite the fact that the necessary resources Mueller prayed for faithfully and secretly sometimes didn't arrive until the last minute. He simply appealed to God and believed that he would come through at the right time, in the right way, and the Lord always did. What is prayer, and how would God have us pray? Thankfully, Jesus answered those questions for us in what we know as the Lord's Prayer. This famous prayer, which has been memorized and recited more than any other by Christians from all denominations for centuries, resulted from a simple request. Luke chapter 11 opens with Jesus praying in a certain place. The specific location isn't described, but it's safe to assume that private prayer was a common practice of Jesus that his disciples had observed often. On this occasion, after Jesus finished, one of the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's let their request be ours now as we look closely at the Lord's response presented in Luke's gospel, which is essentially the same as the slightly longer version in Matthew. I am immediately impressed by the fact that Jesus compressed all they needed to know about prayer and all we need to know in just three verses of scripture. Our Lord has a way of using few words to speak volumes. Consider this literal translation of Luke chapter 11, verse 2, where Jesus responds to the request by stating, When you pray, say, Our Father, who is in the heavens, let your name be hallowed. 
Notice that this model for prayer begins with an attitude of worship that honors God and acknowledges his holiness, for that is what hallowed means. Is that the way you start your prayers? Is it how I start mine? Hmm. The Greek word translated here as pray is prosukomai, which brings the prefix pro, meaning towards someone or something, together with the word Yukomai, meaning to make a wish or request something. In the New Testament, prosyukomai simply means to ask God for something, nothing more, nothing less. However, we must be mindful that the teaching Jesus gives on prayer is in the context of worship. Could this imply that all of our requests should be presented to God with an attitude of worship? and due respect for the King of Kings? I believe so. Let's now look at the specific petitions that Jesus presents as commands in the Lord's Prayer as a model for us to follow. It may seem odd that the kind of prayers we should offer the Lord are commanded by the Lord, for each one of the six is presented as a verbal imperative. In Luke's gospel, they sound like this, literally. Let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Deliver us from evil. With regard to the first three, why would Jesus have us pray for God's name to be holy if it is holy? And why would we pray for God's kingdom to come if it shall come? And why would we pray for God's will to be done if it shall be done? Perhaps this is the Lord's way of reminding us to pray about his personal interests that we so easily forget or neglect. The other three petitions have our personal interests in view and are not so easily forgotten because they encompass our physical, relational, and spiritual needs. With these six prayers before us, do we really need to ask the Lord for anything else? Before answering, let's see what else Jesus says about prayer in the following parable. On the heels of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells a story known as the friend at midnight to assure his readers that God not only hears our prayers, but responds by giving us whatever we need in full measure. The parable starts off with this rhetorical question. Whom among you has a friend who you go to at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And answering from within, he says, Don't bother me, because the door is shut and my children and I are in bed so I can't get up to give you anything. Now, to those of us living in the Western world, this may sound like a reasonable excuse, but to those in that time and place, this would never happen. Hospitality in Middle Eastern culture, both then and now, is not an option, but an expectation. With this in view, Jesus concludes his brief parable in this way. I say to you, even though he won't get up and provide him anything because of being his friend, 
because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The Greek word anadia, translated here as shamelessness, occurs only here in the New Testament and has been the subject of controversy for centuries. I am persuaded that it refers to the inconvenienced friend, not the friend asking for bread. Although Mr. Sleepyhead doesn't want to be bothered, to save face and preserve his honor in the community, he gives all that is requested of him. Some Bible versions translate an idea as persistence, with the friend making the request in mind. But this isn't the literal meaning of the word. It's also bad theology because it makes God out to be unavailable and uncaring, while putting the burden on us to persist continually with the same requests until he finally gives us what we want. In fact, God is always available, always caring, always interested in meeting our needs. Like the man in the parable, sometimes we're inconvenienced by friends in need and don't want to be bothered. But we do help because we know it's necessary and the right thing to do. If that is so, how much more does God hear our prayers and give us what we need? Jesus drives home what this means in his closing comments, where he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is a clarion call to pray boldly and with great expectations. Finally, the Lord concludes his teaching on prayer with this comparison. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Wow! What more could we ask for? How then shall we pray? First and foremost, we must do so with an attitude of worship that puts the will of God before our own, while discerning between our perceived wants and actual needs. For a good example of this, consider the diary entries that compose the autobiography of George Mueller, a real-life story of faith in action through prayer. Questions for your consideration. First, for whom or for what do you pray about the most? And how has God responded? Second, what is the most amazing answer to prayer for you? And how were you affected? And third, how might you pray differently based upon your understanding of Luke chapter 11?